I'd just made a trip to the grocery store when I found out. Pulling into my space in the carport between the rows, I couldn't help but stare at the two police cars and gathered crowd of concerned onlookers. Grabbing some of my groceries, I began carrying them into my apartments, pausing each trip to look across the carport and trying to discern what had happened. Hey, I said to my disheveled metalhead neighbor, what happened? He closed his gaping mouth and looked over at me from next to his car. That lady freaking out? That's the mom. The mom? He furrowed his brow. Kid disappeared. Little girl, seven years old? The one always screaming out here with her friends, I think. They're handing out pictures. A sinking feeling filled my chest. I focused on grabbing some grocery bags from my trunk to keep my composure. <sighs> That's terrible. Yeah, said she was playing with other kids around the 500s. I looked at the stairs at my door's hanging number. 840. I would put the incident in the opposite corner of the apartment complex. Not sure what else to say, I slammed my trunk shut and carried the last of my things inside. Things like this happened all the time, but in my very own neighborhood, to a family right across the carport, the sense of violation left me shaken. After a few irked minutes inside, I decided to go for a run to clear my head. Leaving the opposite direction to avoid the crowd in the carport out back, I turned and headed out, running along the high barbed fence marking the edge of our development. Nice enough houses and a few forested areas passed by outside, but nothing that seemed dangerous, and I saw no holes in the fence or other paths through. Racking my brain, trying to remember if I'd seen anything suspicious or anyone unfamiliar, I turned toward the interior of the complex. Running past the outer rows of apartments, I passed through the small gap in the carport wall, entering the back paths. The back paths were beautiful and well-kept lane-brick sidewalks lined with trees forming a maze that twisted and turned between every building. The summer sun remained distant through the foliage, keeping the shaded paths cool and refreshing. I paused for a breath at a picnic table placed at an angle before two large bushes, not sure exactly where I was. No numbers were visible along the back sides of the apartment buildings. I walked back and forth while I caught my breath, but only smooth, unbroken aluminum siding remained visible behind the thick trees. The back paths were a favorite place of mine to run, always empty, cool, and solitary, but I'd lost my way while distracted. A light breeze shifted the trees overhead, an unexpectedly humid and unpleasant chill. Looking down one path, I saw only endless sidewalk, curving off into tree-lined paths, shot through by dappled sunlight. Down the other lay a picnic table by two large bushes and a circular basin framing plants and flowers. Walking over in confusion, I studied the picnic table. Was it the same one I just stopped at? They all looked the same, I supposed, but I didn't remember the sidewalk circling around flowers. I would certainly have noticed their bright purple. Right? That strange, chilly breeze came again, strong enough to ruffle my clothes. I narrowed my eyes to test my vision, wondering if the area was growing darker. As I picked a direction and ran, my suspicions were confirmed. 
The first drop of water hit my shoulder, making me jump and look around, but of course no one was there. Except the quiets now felt strange, almost curved, as if someone was nearby, just around the corner or walking along a nearby path. The presence felt aloof, like uninterested passerby on their way somewhere, but I still had an inexplicable urge to remain silent. Walking quietly, taking care to avoid the stray nuts and leaves on the brick path, I listened intently to my lightly ragged breathing and the increasing drizzle on the leaves overhead. Turning at a bend once more, I came to another picnic table. A square basin held a large patch of dark green ivy. How the hell had I missed an exit? Any exit? There had to be gaps to the different carports everywhere. I must have just missed the last one somehow. Maybe bushes had grown over it, and so distracted, I'd walked right by. The rain finally passed the leafy canopy overhead, dripping regularly down on me. Now a little scared, more than a little frustrated, I took off running as fast as I could, bolting down the green-lined pathways. As the noise of crushed nuts and crinkled leaves radiated from under my pounding feet, the sound of scraping metal echoed back. Presence I'd felt before seemed to snap to attention, now anything but uninterested. The high squeal of metal faded, replaced by rapid, heavy footfalls. Spurred on by a surge in the rain covering my noises, I turned, ran, turned, ran again. Bushes, trees, brick, and smooth aluminum siding blurred past me, never opening, never offering escape. The heavy footfalls grew closer, less than one angled curve behind me. Suddenly, coming up short, I slid along the slick sidewalk, my legs shooting forward, the harsh sidewalk scraping right up my thigh. The stop had been worth it. The gap in the brick to my left opened on a car-filled lot. Finally. I shook my head, almost laughing. I'd just gotten lost in the back paths and freaked myself out with all sorts of imagined fears and... It came around the corner slowly, that high metal squeal rising again. My entire awareness seemed to freeze, refusing to take in the rotting thing lumbering down the path toward me. Misshapen and grotesque, the very act of motion seemed to send visible waves of pain across a twisted face that ran half the length of its body, ending at a broken teeth set in its waist. Black gore seeped from open stumps where the left half of its vaguely human body should have been, but it continued shambling as if the limbs were there, somehow supported in impossible ways. The metal squeal came again, sharp steel on stone, but I could see no source for the sound. I had the distinct impression that what I was not seeing was far more horrific and dangerous than what I was seeing. Grasping stone, shouting hoarsely at the top of my lungs, I recovered as fast as I could, scrambling for the gap in the brick. I darted behind a van, slowing as I realized that the rain had suddenly stopped. The sun was shining overhead, and the hot day felt as normal as any other. Peering around the edge of the van, I watched the gap into the back paths, but nothing showed. Taking a moment to catch my breath, I finally had a chance to analyze the last sound that I'd heard. A distant noise following my shout. A terrified scream of a little girl. She was in there, 
she was. I stared at that gap, the terrible thought really hitting home. In there. Running back to my apartment, I sighted the police still at the mother's house and the onlooker still hanging around talking in hushed tones. Jeez, what happened to you, dude? My neighbor asked, still standing outside his apartment. Running a hand down my face to slick off the rain, my clothes still soaked, I realized I couldn't tell the police. What could I say? Some horrific aspect had come over the back paths of the apartment complex. I'd look like a madman, and the focus would almost certainly turn on me. I couldn't risk that, because I was the only one who knew where she was. I just stared at him for a moment, profoundly unhappy. I had to go back in there. Someone's stupid sprinkler, I finally said, turning to head inside and change. A half-step into it, I paused. Whether it was real or whether I was losing my mind, another perspective would be very useful. I turned back to him. Hey, man, what are you doing right now? (laughs) Nothing, what's up? I considered not telling him, but it would be brutal to trick him into going into that horrible place, especially when my instinct was telling me that what I had experienced was only the tip of the iceberg. There was another option. He might actually believe me, provided he was in the right state of mind. Are you high right now? He laughed and smoothed out his t-shirt, glancing over at the cop cars. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I gulped. Good. I think I know where that little girl is. A searing lance of sunset fire framed the evening sky in slow motion, lending everything the subdued color of flame. I pulled the car into my spot and killed the engine, watching the gap in the back paths. I imagined it was glaring back at me, the shadows beyond wavering strangely in the dim orange twilight. My neighbor Mike carried a large spool of electrical wire close to his rumpled black Megadeth t-shirt. How come you get the sledgehammer? Getting out and pulling out the heavy tool from the back seat, I ripped the barcode sticker off and hefted it in both hands. Not wanting to give any of my plans away, I gave him no answer. He followed anyway, probably still uncertain whether I was serious. Tie one in around this bush, I said, indicating a plant immediately outside my gap. As he did so, I briefly rested the sledgehammer on the ground and pulled my jacket tighter. It's not a cloud in the sky he said, billowing his shirt with one hand and sweating slightly from the heat. I narrowed my eyes. You should really wear a jacket. Fine, man, fine. He turned to walk back to his apartment. I stood there waiting, unsure if he was going to return. The fire in the sky lost some of its glow with each passing minute, leaving a bit of the back path I could see increasingly shrouded in gloom. Finally, he came back, walking up with the windbreaker open and flapping, and his hands in his pockets. His eyes were a little more bloodshot than before. Shrugging, I hefted the sledgehammer and led my way through the gap. 
The canopy overhead and the framing high walls immediately brought heavy silence and orange cast murkiness. Mike held the spool, unwinding it as we walked. At random intervals, he laughed quietly to himself. Quiet, I whispered harshly. There's something in here, remember? He chuckled and blinked heavily. <laughs> Looks the same as ever to me, man. And it did. The brick path stretched away in either direction, following the back sides of the apartment buildings. We came to the first picnic bench, flanked by two large bushes. Looking around, ensuring we were alone, I took out my pocket knife and cut a letter on the unseen bottom side of the table. Walking further, we came to another gap in the brick wall, finding ourselves at another carport in the development. Doesn't seem weird to me, he said apologetically. Not sure what to do, I led us both back to the picnic table. The letter I'd carved remained underneath. I've run through here a thousand times, I said, studying the paths. I wasn't paying attention when it happened. Maybe that's the key. He made a confused face. How do we not pay attention when we know we're trying not to pay attention? We sat for a moment at a loss until I had a thought. Close our eyes and walk. He shrugged and we moved to the corner, facing down a long straightaway that led deeper into the back paths. Closing my eyes, I stepped forward, slowed only slightly by his hand gripping the tail end of my jacket. Carefully taking one step at a time, I clutched the sledgehammer close and put one hand out, anticipating a hedge or a tree at any moment. The evening air was unpleasantly warm and humid, even under the trees, and I seemed to be reaching into hot, silent emptiness. My anticipation of the oncoming corner rose to a painful height, but still nothing met my fingers. As the sightless creeping wore on, I began counting my steps. Five, ten, fifty. When I reached a hundred, I was certain something was wrong. I finally opened my eyes. My outstretched hand hung less than an inch from a twisted, rusted blade. Jumping back into Mike, I stared at the blighted, misshapen antique street sign that had nearly sliced my hand in two. The words had been weathered warm beyond readability. What the hell? he asked, opening his eyes. We both looked around. The sidewalk and lining trees remained, but the visible walls beyond now ran with a strange style of stucco. I told you, I whispered, holding the sledgehammer higher. First things first, let's follow this wire back, make sure we can get out. We might not be able to get out? He asked, worried. I winced. Uh, well, I did last time. I'm sure we'll be fine. Except the wire we'd spooled out led right into a brick wall, disappearing into right where a gap should have been. Holy shit, Mike said, dropping the spool. I regarded the brick unconcerned. I thought this might happen. Lifting the sledgehammer back, I brought it forward with all my strength. A large piece of brick fell out and I hit it again and then a third time, swinging until the single layer brick gave way, smashing out a large gap. We peered through. On the other side sat a parking lot full of cars. An almost manic smile crept across my face. 
our return assured, Mike picked up the spool again and reluctantly followed me further into the back paths. Down several long straightaways and through three four-way junctions, we found another picnic table, this one near a darkly shimmering pool of black water. I checked under the table, finding the symbol I'd carved, though what that meant I wasn't sure yet. Studying the little pool, the little ripples told us of light rain beginning overhead before either of us felt it firsthand. Told you we needed jackets, I said, listening to the patter begin on the leaves overhead as the shade grew darker. The orange tent was gone, slowly replaced by the fuzzy, inky blue one found only at the edge of true night. Peering down the paths as we walked, straining to see, we both jumped at shifting, malformed shadows that repeatedly turned out to be tricks of the eye. A crack of thunder resounded overhead, and the rain began dripping from the leaves overhead in earnest. Mike shivered and raised his hood. This sucks, man. We should go back. Before I had a chance to reply, we rounded a corner and came across a horrific sight. A mangled mass of flesh and black gore laid splattered across the sidewalk, a long trail of fleshy bits and smeared filth leading away in the direction we'd intended to go. The entire terrible display seemed to subtly shift and change in the eye-defying darkness. I even imagined I saw some of the creature's severed fingers still moving about in their puddle, but I chalked it up to the splattering rain. That's the thing I saw, I whispered, frozen in place. That's the thing, he whispered back. Then what did that to it? I shook my head. I think we need to risk one shout. What? he hissed, wiping rain away from his face. Are you crazy right now? The little girl responded last time I shouted, and we can't wander around in here forever. He seemed terrified, but relented. Cautiously moving the opposite direction from the ravaged corpse, I gave one quick hoarse yell. Hello? The sound seemed to echo for nearly 20 seconds. We stood silent, hearts pounding. A small cry came from a path to our right. Running quickly and quietly that direction, we stopped at a four-way intersection, not sure where to turn. A tapping sounded below our feet, and we both jumped back in fright. It took a moment for us to realize that a pair of small eyes was watching us from below a sewer grate. It took another moment for us to grip the grate through inch-deep rivulets of pouring rain and throw it to the side. Mike pulled her out from down below. It was the little girl he'd described, albeit covered in dirt and soaked to the bone. Screwing up her face in fear, she pointed out behind us. We didn't waste time looking. Mike scooped her up and we took off running along the lane wire, splashing through ankle-deep water and trying not to lose the trail. I realized I would never be able to keep following the wire if the water grew any deeper. Wait, I hissed, stopping at a space of brick wall. We don't have to go all the way back to ours. Hefting the sledgehammer, I bashed the wall repeatedly, breaking pieces off with agonizing slowness. Heart pounding, I slammed again and again, trying to get through before... I sensed the mic and the girl tense. I turned. I blinked against the rain running down my face, peering into the shifting darkness along the path behind us. 
Lightning flashed, searing the scene in bright detail, but I saw nothing. Thunder rolled, and I turned away, hammering at the wall again. There! The little girl screamed. I turned back again, wearily lifting the hammer in case of an attack. Eyes wide to soak in the barest of light still reaching us through the storm, I scanned the path, and still, nothing. One more swing sent a large section of the wall crumbling back, the knee-high water flowing through eagerly. Mike pushed the little girl through and then clambered through after her, watching him squeeze through. I waited, senses on fire with adrenaline. Every raindrop and splash seemed to sear my ears, and every second seemed to stretch on eternally as I waited for Mike to finish getting through. I leapt around as I heard a different kind of splash behind me. Staring around in terror, waiting for a flash of lightning to light up the path, I still saw nothing. Getting a sudden notion that there was a very obvious place for something to hide, I dropped the sledgehammer and leapt out of the thigh-high surging rainwater. Gripping branches, I climbed up to the closest tree, watching as another burst of lightning illuminated some grotesque series of shadows in the water below. The following thunder nearly shook me out of the tree, but I climbed higher, resolving to go right over the brick wall. Laughing loudly, I refused to fall from the slick branches, clawing my way upwards. I could see it, intermittently by eyeball-searing lightning, the top of the brick wall, just out of reach, clambering up another branch, then a second and a third, I reached out a hand. And suddenly I was slipping, falling, in a panic though not the way I would have expected. My body seemed to tumble, my orientation shifting as I desperately grabbed at thick tree branches and came to a painful stop as one met my chest. Groaning, I dug my fingers into the nearby branches and tried to comprehend what I was seeing below. The lightning was now flashing intermittently under me. In the water? No, I, I was upside down. I clutched the tree harder as I realized it was the only thing between me and the infinite void of sky below. The storm clouds pulsed menacingly, blinking with bursts of lightning, shaking the tree against me with riotous thunder and shooting waves of rain up at me. Confused, horrified, I looked up, seeing a ceiling of water still bubbling madly in a constrained path, that impossible shape still moving underneath, waiting for me. The chilly... Rain-soaked minutes passed as I tried to think of a way out. I would climb up and get torn apart by that lurking horror, or I could let go and fall forever. I'd never felt quite that way before, feeling the certainty of death circling in on all sides, clinging to those branches. I thought about my life and everything I'd done, everything I'd wanted to do. Would it all end here in this otherworldly nightmare? Unless. Shivering, feeling my strength fading, I studied the wall next to me. It came down from above, stopping just out of reach, a crowning upside-down light fixture mocking my need for the light with its broken bulb. Judging the distance by flashes of lightning, I guessed I had only one way out. Doing my best to summon all my courage, I managed to make the wild, split-second decision. Racing my feet and edging as far forward as I dared, I leapt out toward the wall. Soaring through what I knew was endless void, my grasping hands found that light fixture. 
and I grabbed desperately with it, curling and writhing in the air. With only a few seconds of grip on the rain-slicked metal, I let myself swing further forward and I let go. I swung impossibly in the air, circling too fast to comprehend my orientation lost. A large, flat surface smacked into me bodily, knocking the wind out of my lungs and bashing my face without compassion. Holy crap, man, how did you do that? Mike shouted, running over to me. He waved his hand up at the wall that was now properly above us, indicating what had probably been an insane and impossible acrobatic sight. Wiping dirt from my face, I sat up slowly, looking back in shock at the now normal gap to the back paths. The carport's lamps cast a slight illumination beyond, showing nothing but normal sidewalk. Gripping my head with one hand, I stumbled to my feet. I... I'm, I'm going home, I mumbled, glancing at the little girl who clung to Mike's leg. Take her home, will you? Don't tell anyone about this. He stared at me. Like I was going to? Staggering toward my apartment, my soaked clothes slopping around me uncomfortably as I walked, I resolved to sleep for the next two days straight. Had anything I'd seen been real? What the hell was that place? I had the strangest feeling that the back paths and I had played a game, that it had been learning and adapting as we played, and that I'd made it furious by escaping twice. It would react brutally if I ever entered a third time, I knew, but no matter, I was never going near those paths again. I reached my apartment with no small relief. Turning the key into the door, I opened it slightly and then paused. A white card had been nailed to my door with large red letters emblazoned across it. Glorwalk. Confused, I looked to my left and right, noticing the same card on each visible door. It was then I noticed the smell wafting from inside my apartment. A male yell of sheer terror ring out from across the carport, a shout of warning meant for me. Mike ran out between the cars, holding the little girl, shouting something at the top of his lungs. I closed the door to my apartment softly, remaining outside. My tired gaze fell on my scraped-up hands and legs. I laughed softly. Of course... Of course it had been my idea to try a different gap to escape. <laughs> How foolish to assume all the gaps in that mind-bending nightmare exited at the same place. We weren't home. Not at all. We had to go back in. With no immediate danger apparent, we took refuge in a rare apartment not marked with the strange postings. There was no furniture inside, as if nobody had lived there for quite some time. Peering through the blinds and out into the calm night, I couldn't help but feeling that any measure of safety we might find would merely be a comforting illusion. The only room in the house with no windows lay on the second floor, a long, narrow bathroom. Mike searched for the light switch in the darkness and flicked it with relief. Lights work? Yeah, 
But why? I asked, not willing to trust any beneficial turn of events, no matter how small. And the automatic lights on the carport worked too. Got me. He carried the little girl to the bathtub and told her to gently try to sleep. After closing and locking the door, I turned the faucet experimentally. Nothing happened. No water. Maybe it's just because nobody was living here. We both slumped on opposite sides of the narrow space. What do you think Glorwalk is? He asked, trying to pronounce the word we'd seen posted on the doors of the apartments we very much did not want to enter. Glorwalk? Maybe it stands for something. Shook my head, gazing absently at my shoes and at the undersink cabinets against which they rested. My pants were still soggy from the rains on the back paths, but I wasn't about to feel even more vulnerable in this eerie place. And where was it exactly? My apartment key worked. My car was outside a nearby carport. The buildings all looked right. As far as we could tell at night, anyway. Was this another dimension? A parallel world where something terrible had happened? If so, what? And if this was another world, how would we even get back home? How would we ever know which gap was the right one? Would the back paths let the guiding wire we'd led remain? I doubted it. Unanswered questions plagued me as I reclined against the wall, half asleep for some indeterminable amount of time. A jolt brought me fully awake. Listening to the distant vibration, I tried to place it. I couldn't recognize it. Also woken up, Mike blinked and looked at me with tired, bloodshot eyes. Stay here, I said, groaning and standing. I'm going to go look around. Shouldn't I come with you? We can't leave her alone. He nodded unhappily. Be careful. I crept out without another word, closing the bathroom door behind me. Eyes wide, ears alert, I let my senses drink in the faint early morning light. The barest blue hue vaguely outlined the empty rooms to my left and right. I approached the closet and each slowly, taking one step at a time, making absolutely no noise. I heard nothing and swung each closet open with a jump of apprehension, but found nothing. With the second floor clear, I moved downstairs, cringing at each painfully loud creak, finding nothing in the kitchen or the living room. I reluctantly decided to call the apartment safe, at least for the moment. Cracking open the blinds just a tiny bit, I looked out. The wan, pre-drawn blue revealed barely more than it hid. Impenetrable shadows ran long and confusing across the grass islands, bushes, sidewalks, and cars outside. The scenery was made only more confusing by the intermittent lampposts shining small pockets of orange on their surroundings. Sliding out the front door we'd bashed in, I closed it carefully behind me. The first that struck me was the clean, sweet feel of open air. The day was cool but refreshing, and I would have called the weather amazing at any other time. 
Dark clouds ran corrugated across half the sky, but the other half formed a vault of dim, incandescent blue overhead. Nothing stirred in the dusk, save a few trees swaying with ephemeral morning breezes. A deathly silence hung over everything. I walked slowly along the grass, sticking close to the wall of the apartment buildings, peering at every nook and shadow. I kept subconsciously anticipating movement and life, habitually used to this time as a period of awakening and the start of a new day, but the lack of sound or presence only disturbed me further. What happened here? Where was everyone? Actually, from the smell emanating from my apartment the night before, I imagined many of the families were dead in their marked homes. Was there another me dead in my apartment? Not willing to check any of the marked apartments, I crept along toward the front of our development, peering around every corner for several long moments before I made any move. As I moved, I began noticing subtle, inexplicable signs of devastation. A street light had fallen across the outer fence, apparently snapped by something that had left the trees around it intact. A van sat pitifully torn in two, as if something had taken a bite clean through the middle, Peering at it from afar, I could see no bodies or blood or scorch marks or anything else that might have indicated how it happened. My ears strained, and I realized what I was missing. There were no birds. The morning was alternately still and breezy, but no chirps or calls echoed out from the trees around. Growing increasingly paranoid, I imagined I could feel hollow eyes watching me from every window around, families of corpses within, furious that I dared creep by their quiet apartments become tombs. Crouching now, I came to the entrance to our apartment complex. Hiding behind a pillar, I looked west into dim blue and darkness, and then east into dim blue and lightning sky. I'd expected crashed cars and decaying bodies and all manner of destruction, but the main road sat empty. The hardware store wasn't far. I decided to risk walking there. We would need tools if we were going to survive our third encounter with the back paths. Darting from cover to cover on the one side of the road, I kept looking forward and back, but no obvious source of danger presented itself. Crouching behind a large rock, I looked out and then jumped away from something breathing behind me. I quickly realized it was a dog, but it was in no condition to do anything but breathe. A large circular hole had been torn in its stomach and back legs, exposing its inner organs. Slimy and covered in internal goo, they still pulsed with life. The dog rolled its eye and looked at me, giving a pitiful whine of pain. I couldn't speak, but I knew what it wanted. I resolved to return here on my way back, once I had an appropriate tool. It was only as I reached the hardware store that I realized that people would have made a run on anything useful if a disaster was looming, but my fears were unfounded. Large buildings sat undamaged, the front door swinging wide open in the breeze. Now, even more paranoid, I carefully looked around the dusty space from the door, but still saw nothing dangerous. Filling a large bag with anything I thought might be useful, I spent as little time there as possible. The sun cracked on the horizon as I began walking back, still on edge. I almost wanted something terrible to happen, if only so I could stop looking over my shoulder constantly.
I shaded my eyes against the strangely bright dawn and made for the dog. By the time I found his gully again, I began doubting my senses. Blinking, I, I tried to clear the strangeness, but nothing I did helped. It was only when I saw the dog directly that I realized that what I was seeing was not an illusion. Sickly photophorescence surrounded the animal's open wound, giving off ethereal blue shimmers in response to the dawn's direct sunlight. Staring at it, I could almost see it ever so slowly eating away at his body, but his skin and outer flesh far more so than its organs. I felt sick, imagining what would happen to him if the strange corruption were allowed to progress. He would live far longer into his horrible death than any living being should have to. A pile of muscles, organs, and inner flesh exposed to the world. Had that happened to the families in all these apartments, too? As the sun grew brighter, so did the eerie phosphorescence. I followed it with my eyes, away from the dog, along the ground where he dragged himself to get there. And then I saw glimmers of it up in the trees, slowly eating away at intermittent leaves. And it was on the road, and variously strewn about nearby grasses. Looking at myself in terror, I was relieved to find nothing. Except... I tore off my jacket, throwing it on the ground, a few shimmering spots of unwholesome blue glimmered on the back around the bottom. What had I touched? When had my jacket been contaminated? What the hell was it? Poking the jacket with a stick, I confirmed that small frayed holes had been eaten in the material. Truly horrified to my core, for the first time since I'd encountered the back paths, I wasted nearly a minute standing in place. What could consume street lights, vans, dogs, trees, grass, and jackets alike? Was this the posted warning signs I've been referring to? The rumble I heard that morning. I could not fathom the sound. It had to have been a nearby building collapsing, its foundation likely eaten right through. Checking my bag of tools for contamination, I took off running as soon as I was satisfied they were clean. I ran through the apartment complex in terror, changing my route constantly to avoid large patches of shimmering blue. Somehow on my way out before dawn, I'd managed to walk a narrow, invisible passage of safety. Eerie corruption ate away at the sidewalks I'd avoided, and I could now see it smeared on door handles and sides of cars and anything else infected people had touched before. Before their skin had. I shook my head, fighting the urge to be sick. The apartment we'd taken refuge in remained normal in appearance, free of the strange consumption for the moment. I silently thanked whoever had nailed the warning signs to every other home. As I opened the front door, I froze. I'd opened my own apartment door the night before. The door handles. Staring at my hands, I studied them for any sign of corruption, but breathed a sigh of relief when I found none. Had I just used the key to open and close the door? I couldn't remember. Fishing my keys out of my pocket, I held them up. A slight sliver of blue glowed from within one of the deeper grooves. Throwing them away in disgust, I pulled out my pocket, making sure it hadn't spread to my clothes. Satisfied, I bolted inside, announcing myself as I ran up the stairs. 
Come on, come outside. We have to go. Mike emerged after a moment, holding the little girl in his arms at the top of the stairs. What is it? What happened? I can't even explain it, I shouted back. Just don't touch anything glowing blue. Seriously, do not let it touch you. Why? What happens? I shook my head and led them outside, checking them over in the sunlight. You're clean. We ran the gap back to the back paths, finding refuge in a wide swath of untouched grass immediately outside the entrance. It was strange that I felt safe here, but at that moment the world at large seemed far worse than whatever new nightmare awaited us within. What's that? The little girl asked, smiling and pointing at the shining phosphorescence all around. Nothing, Mike said calmly, holding her in place. Just decorations. Christmas lights. I wondered if he guessed the horrific things that glimmering corruption could do to living beings. How was he still so calm? I laid out the tools I'd grabbed, studying our options. We'd come up with a plan. If the back paths just turned upside down the moment we entered, we would die. Unless... I lifted the length of rope I'd grabbed and my manic smile of momentary triumph returning. Forget running the maze. We have to do something it won't expect. We're gonna climb. I knew we were in serious trouble the moment I opened my eyes. What is it? Mike asked, his eyes still closed, his hands on the rope between us. The little girl clung to his back, tied in place. She didn't seem to have any idea that we were in danger. We're in, I responded, studying our surroundings with a sinking heart. The back paths had anticipated our rope response and taken things a step beyond simply dumping us into endless sky. The tree-lined path still extended away from us, but it dropped off sharply a few feet away. A thick cube sat just further than that, trees and sidewalks running up its side across it and down again. Paths split off from there across floating geometric shapes and barely connected at impossible angles, filling the sky with mind-bending paths leading in every direction. Below, the maze seemed to stretch on in an endless jumble of shapes, stretching all the way to a fading horizon, miles distant. What had once been confusing, claustrophobic paths had now become an entire endless labyrinth, a plane unto itself. I'm way too sober for this, Mike commented, his tone heavy with the first note of true despair I'd ever heard him utter. Walking to the edge that dropped off the side of our current cube, studying the trees that stood straight out without a problem, I probed the void with my foot. As I'd suspected, instead of falling straight down, I began curving around the corner, eventually coming to a stop at a 90 degree angle to my former position. What if it just drops us? Mike called, hesitant to step into the new angle. I looked around at the endless sky maze, curious. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have control that's specific with so much effort spent on all this. But we don't have a choice anyway. 
The faint last notes of a massive roar echoed around us, made only more terrifying by the sheer distant origin. Had something on the horizon seen us? I thought I saw movement on a distant upside-down pyramid, but peering into the jumble of shapes and shadows brought no answers. Moving quickly along, quickly changing angles, walking around a massive sphere of tree-lined sidewalks and stepping onto a slowly rotating rectangle of grass, we came to a picnic table next to a five-by-five pool of water soaked in red with blood. A body lay within, disturbingly normal by its clothes and lack of any horrible features. Mike kept his distance so as not to scare the little girl. I broke off a stick from a nearby tree and turned him over. He looked vaguely familiar, perhaps someone else that lived in our apartment complex. Were others stumbling into the back paths, too? It didn't seem unlikely, now that I'd thought about it. We'd angered it by continually defying it and made it increasingly deadly. Narrowing my eyes, I looked over at my companions. How had that little girl survived in here for so long by herself? Suddenly doubting my current perspective, I checked under the picnic table, and I found the letter I'd carved last iteration. Something seemed to move to my right, and I looked out across vast, incomprehensible spaces. The light was changing slowly, the change more clear on rotating hedrons. Looking up, I realized the sun was still up there somewhere, moving as normal. Even as I wandered about the ever-present rain in the maze, the first drops began to fall, one hitting my cheek with a forceful splatter. What do we do? Mike asked. I don't even see any nearby gaps, or ours could be miles away. And how will we ever find it? It's a long shot, I thought out loud, but we broke a hole in our gap last time we were here. If that's still there... Once the water reaches a certain height, it should start flowing that way, right? A small light of hope entered his eyes. Holy crap, I, I think you're right. It'll be tough to notice with all this, he indicated the insane geometry of the twisted world around us, but it might work. As long as we don't head back to the last world by accident, I said with a shrug. Broke a hole in that gap too probably shouldn't have said that. He seemed worried again. Leading the way as the light scattered drops became a full drizzle, I picked what seemed like the most confusing direction and headed that way, assuming the maze would try to lead us away from our exit by putting easy misdirections in our way. I opted to remain roped together in case any of the angles simply dropped me as Mike had feared. Curving up around a large, parabolic structure, we came to a position directly above our previous spot. Looking straight up, we could see the bloody pool upside down above us. Narrowing my eyes, I thought I saw movement again. Shaking my head, I dismissed it until I looked up again. This time, the ravaged body we turned over was gone, leaving the pool splashing with its departure. Staring at the trees all around that pool, I tried to figure out where it went, but the foliage was too thick. Mike noticed it too. And without another word, we began hurrying away. The increasing patter of the rain became enormously loud, splatting against leaves in every direction in the vast, endless maze. No matter where we went, 
It was always coming down at us, and we could see the drops traveling sideways and up and down in the distance. There, Mike shouted, pointing at a gigantic cylinder behind and above us. Bloody handprints trailed the slowly spinning surface. Studying the rain flows in the air, I realized we could evade the animated corpse with a little shortcut. Here, I said, climbing up a specific tree. Mike was forced to follow by the short length of rope between us, so we both moved up alongside a strange stucco wall. A weird growling sound echoed from around the corner of our current cube. I hit the changing rain flow as the corpse thing rounded the corner, crawling at impossible speed toward our tree. Feeling my hair lifting straight up, blood rushing to my head, I knew my instinct had been right. Leaping straight up, I suddenly turned upside down and hung painfully from the rope tied around my waist. Looking down, I saw another tree just below my feet. Reaching out, I gripped it with the flats of my shoes, pulling Mike up, or down, as it were. He spun in the air, but managed to land lightly on the branches with my help, the little girl on his back laughing. Above us, the mauled corpse hung from a tree upside down a few feet away. Its legs mere stubs of cracked bone. It lacked the ability to jump. Staring at us with hollow eyes, it began descending its tree, moving up and away from us, intent on crawling down another path. Go! I shouted, climbing down as fast as I could without placing my hands on branches I'd stepped on, with Mike just behind me doing the same. The surging rain had made the climb treacherous, and I deemed another such stunt impossible. It would be all running from here, as we hit the ground and took off up the side of a mountainous pyramid. That incredible roar sounded again, shaking the very bricks beneath our shoes. We crested the pyramid, our view opening up on a mighty valley of open space above and below, a sky arena stretching to the very horizon framed by a universe of jumbled polyhedrons permeated by incredulous blasting rains. We froze in place from sheer awe and terror. A thing of horrible beauty approached through the sky, passing through wide swaths of sunlight, rain and shadow moving of its own volition, bearing no visible manner of propulsion. It simply was. It simply moved in all shapes and directions, writhing with rotting vitality, and it had most definitely seen us. Running felt pointless, but we did it anyways, trying to duck deeper into the maze. Animal panic took over, leading us deeper into the jungle. A sense of sight passed over us several times, a vast awareness searching for us in the darkening underbelly of the labyrinth. I closed my eyes against the overwhelming feeling each time, but kept running, knowing the rope would keep Mike from getting lost. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. The massive, unholy thing tore away at the hedrons above us, simply consuming them. The shadows around us lessened as we ran until that horrible awareness stopped in place. It had found us. Paralyzed, we turned and looked up. Shivering eddies seemed to tug at the edges of my very consciousness, vaporous memories and emotions leaving through the corners of my eyes. Grasping at them, I tried to keep them, tried to hold on to those scant, precious moments from my childhood, but they sifted through my fingers like so much sand, drawing further vitality along behind them. 
Screaming, I used up all my strength just to close my eyes. I bent over, then fell to my hands and knees, something dripping along my face. I felt gravity shift in the air move as a gargantuan presence moved toward us, a vile limb reaching out, perhaps to destroy us, perhaps to regard us, perhaps to consume us. Eyes still closed tightly, I tugged at my shoelaces, my fingers straining at the wet material. Finally, I got one shoe off. Feeling the surging air reach a peak as the thing began to close around us, I threw my shoe in the air as hard as I could, laughing like a maniac. You shouldn't have shown yourself. All destructive motion ceased. Opening my blood-dripping eyes, I looked first to Mike, who sat curled on his knees with his hands over his face. The little girl waved at me, oblivious. Narrowing my eyes, I turned my attention up where the monstrous thing regarded me with one infinite black void of what I presumed to be an eye. I could feel it massaging the meat inside my head, pulling out what we had done. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. It was too late. The shifting sun finally reached us, illuminating our real strategy. Ethereal blue phosphorescence glowed from the bottoms of our shoes and everywhere that had stepped through the maze. A small glimmer even radiated from a half-shoe print on the impossible, monstrous limb still hovering above us. It's going to eat you, I shouted, laughing and cavorting around with its wild eyes. It's going to eat everything here. Glorwalk. Glorwalk. For the first time, the entity behind the back paths felt something other than hunger. I could feel it rejecting my assertion, its void eye regarding the incredible size of its domain. No, I yelled, grinning, thinking of the letter I'd carved into the picnic table, then seen on all the rest. I think this place isn't nearly as big as it looks. Giving another moment of self-indulgent whirl and maniacal laughter, I spread my arms wide. Let us go, and I'll tell you how to cure it. We sat at a tense, unholy impasse. Regarding the widening blue glow on its limb, I pointed. It's spreading. Can you feel it? What's it feel like? Does it feel like dying? Does it feel like nothing at all? Absolute void encroaching on your senses. Next to me, Mike watched me in horror, more afraid of me than the entity hovering above us. A third and final, massive roar blasted us with fetid, ghastly odors. The sound of grating brick erupted behind us, and the blue wire we'd lay in last iteration shimmered into view under our feet. Of course, I mused aloud, mostly illusion. We kicked off our shoes, leaving the eerie blue corruption in the entity's pocket dimension, where the consumption would be contained safely. Walking through the gap in bare socks, we emerged into a carport parking lot. A neighbor stood in the distance, smoking in just a beater and boxers. Well, we're definitely home, Mike said with a gulp. Yeah, I turned regarding the back paths. I could still feel the Entity's presence, awaiting the promised cure. I wondered how long it would take to realize no cure was coming. What did it really look like? Did it have skin that would slough off before it died, leaving it to waste away in agony? 
I hope so. Mike began stepping away from me, nervously. I'm just going to take her home. I'll do it. Trust me. I untied his ropes and let her down, pushing her over to me. She leapt up into my arms without a care. I began walking away, a deeply satisfying sense of victory filling me. The screams of little girls playing in the carport emanated from down the lot. Looking over, I saw the missing girl, watched over worriedly by her mother as she played. So they'd found her after all, through normal means. I smiled at the little girl I was holding. I hadn't seen the real little girl playing in the distance yet, but the jig was about to be up. I wondered, with excitement, how it would try to defend itself. Would it be as much fun as the back paths had been? What are you? Mike called after me, his tone quavering. Don't worry about it, I called back, walking away. It was rare that I left witnesses alive, but he'd been a top-notch partner. It wouldn't have felt right to destroy him. No. Right at that moment, I was only looking forward to taking the imposter creature into the apartment I'd been temporarily making use of, and then seeing how well it might fight back. Two kills in one day. <laughs> what a week. My grin widened as I departed. I'm nobody. Just remember me as a bad trip you had once. <laughs>